Pickaxe. How you doing, bro? Good, good, good. You know, just, uh, you know, had a late night playing Rust and, uh, you know, did some gambling on there. And, you know, hey, let's just say, you know, uh, <laughs> luck wasn't on my side last night. Wait, so I heard something about this. There was some kind of like Rust server or something that came out. Or something. Yeah. What's the deal yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Can you fill me in? Pretty much um, offline TV, they created this um, server for streamers on Rust. So everyone can collaborate, you know, get together and stream the game. And that's kind of just what it is. So we just get on and it's just all streamers and we just kind of interact. Rust and... is like where you guys like, like people, like it's people like attack each other and stuff, right? Yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a survival game, I, I guess. Survival, yeah. some shit. Yeah, it's not survival. I don't know. And and where does the gambling come in? Well, you can. So the current. Well, I don't know if it's a currency, but there's a stuff called scrap. I guess it's the equivalent to the currency in the game, and um, there's this wheel, and you can gamble it. Make a wish. Oh, for the eyelash. I like that. <laughs> it's a Middle Eastern stuff, right? I think so. I don't but know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, hey, yeah, I pretty much go with the risky bets, you know. The one cool. is pretty much like a 52% chance of landing, you double up, everyone does that. But, you know, I'm only going 20, 10, and 5, which is like the rarest ones. But, hey, you know, big risk, big reward. Go big or go home, right? Go big or go home, you know. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Hey. Uh, so, Trey, a couple things. I was hoping today. I, I know we we've sort of been we've mentioned addiction a couple of times. I, I think you had alluded to a few stories or experiences that you had that we never really got into. Um, yeah. So, I, I was really hoping to hear about that today and just what your experiences have been. I sure. think uh, that could be really helpful for other people to kind of hear about. And the second thing is just from a time limit standpoint, um, I have to teach uh, in one hour and forty five minutes. Um, okay. So I, I really have to stop because there's going to be a you know classroom full of people waiting for me. Um, okay. So I shouldn't I shouldn't be late for that. So, um, so apologies I, if I if I have to stay a little bit more focused today. So how long do we have? An hour and forty five minutes. Perfect. But if we're going to meditate and stuff, then then we have to save time for that. You know, if ends up if ends up being juicy, we, we could do med. You know, I'll do meditation on my own. Sure, absolutely. But let's dive in, baby. Yeah, let's do it. So tell me, um, you were, yeah, I, I think uh, where where I where we had left off is I think maybe you were going to college. Like we talked a lot about kind of your <clears> upbringing <throat> and stuff like that, and then um, you had sort of alluded to substance use at certain times, but I don't think we ever talked about that. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> so. My entire life. Um, I've kind of just been like a dreamer, you know, I've never really been grounded, you know, feeling the ground. I've always been, you know, flying high, um, you know, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've always been a dreamer. I've always, you know, I've always, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for. I've always, I'll use a different word, but it's not. A good enough word, but I've always kind of grasped onto the 0.01% hope that something could possibly exist that is, you know, outside of 
what we understand to be like, you know, possible or probable or whatever the case might be, right? And like, that's just kind of me, right? I'm living in my head. And, um, you know, in high school, a lot of my friends, they, they, they knew how to live in the moment. And, you know, they could be failing all their courses. They could be broke, getting kicked out. And somehow, you know, when they'd come over and we do a sleepover, you know, I would turn around and they'd be sleeping with a smile on their face. You know, and I'm sitting here busting my ass, you know, getting good grades, doing this, preparing for college. And I'm stressed. I'm, you know, I'm anxious. And I guess I've kind of always been bored with the way things are, with the way things, with the way people tell you that things are, right? I've always wanted to kind of just venture outside of that. I've, I've wanted sort, to find the adventure. Go beyond the status quo. Yeah, I've Not wanted just... to find the, yeah, the adventure and the magic in the world, right? Sure. So to speak, you know like uncharted lands, uncharted territory that isn't on a map that can't be, you know, seen on radar, some crazy shit, right? And which is which is kind of interesting for a second because it seems like, you know, in high school you were kind of walking the the narrow path of of good Iranian boy. You know, getting the grades, studying hard. Ooh, no. No, no. no, 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 no. Definitely not. No, no. In high school, <laughs> no. In high school definitely uh no. No, no, no. In high school, I was, I've been, I've been pretty insecure, probably up until like my 26th, 27th birthday-ish. I'd say I've been very, very insecure. I've always, I've never been like, I've always wanted to like, naturally, like how I am, it was it. What I was trying to be by fitting in with mm -hmm. others, I had naturally, but I didn't recognize that right because i didn't have that self-love I, I you know i hadn't sure. gone through like a self-reflection or, or a journey you know to really discover myself and and love myself and accept myself and through that i was just like a chameleon just fitting in trying to fit in different groups find my place uh mm -hmm. find out who i was anyways so back to the adventure stuff um a piece of me has always craved chaos I've always craved chaos. You know, I just. What is that? There's mean? something. Uh, uh, craving chaos is like just craving a disorder, craving some sort of storyline, almost like creating problems for yourself that perpetuate some sort of like. It creates like a purpose, like some sort of, you know, like, because like we kind of go about life, we just kind of go like robots, right? You go to school, you come home, you do your homework, you eat your dinner, you go to bed, right? You grow up, you get to go to college, you get a it's job, you get married, you have kids, right? It's just this like stale timeline, the stale schedule Chaos that's, you know, kind of adrenaline survival, a reason. Exactly. There is something a little more, you know, like that there's a storyline there that there's there's something, you know, so I've always kind of craved a little bit of chaos, or I've, I've craved a lot of chaos in my life. And I think, I think that was kind of the entryway into some of the hard drugs I've done, which occurred through college. I, I, th I think I first dabbled in the hardest of drugs. Probably, well, I'd say I started freshman year with like a little bit of like soft, medium drugs. And then I went into like sophomore, junior year, I went into some hard drugs. Can you help me understand how you classify soft drugs, medium drugs, and hard drugs? Uh, a medium drug to me is like, like Xanax, hard drugs, like Percocet, Oxycontin, heroin, meth, 
Medium okay. drugs, Xanax, you know, Vicodin. I'd say, I don't know. And then soft okay. drug, I don't know. Weed? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. And, you know, Train, if yeah. I ask you anything that you don't feel comfortable answering, you just I'm comfortable let with me it know. all. And the drug topic, I'm comfortable with it all. Um, because I, I think it good. is just important to understand, like, your terminology. So you were saying, like, soft drugs is marijuana. Um, medium drugs yeah. is, is, like, benzos, like Xanax. Did you say Vicodin was a medium drug? Uh, I'd say Vicodin is actually low-key weaker than Xanax. Xanax is actually fucking dangerous low-key. So that's, pro that, that, that's probably a little bit harder. It's just, like, that's, like, one of those things that's, like, it's everywhere. It's, like, it's, it's become so normalized that you don't see it as this hard drug, but Xanax is definitely bad. I'd say it's I'd say it's worse than Vicodin to be honest. But then again, I guess watching Dr. House, that's not the case. So hmm. Yeah, so so it occurs to me that maybe um you know maybe we need to just do a little bit of public education. I may try to put something together, just a little bit about what to 100%, expect from please do. different yeah. drugs. So one thing just so um everyone knows, this is super dangerous. So first of all, you know I don't, I really don't recommend any kind of substance use at all, really ever. Um, the, the couple of things that really get people into trouble are, um, just as an addiction psychiatrist, I've seen this time and again, where sometimes will people will use a particular dosage and then if they get sober for a while, um, they'll go back to their old dosage and that can actually be lethal. Um, and then I've had patients... Uh, die or overdose because of that. And the second thing is that drug classes should really never be mixed. That exponentially increases the danger. So if you 100%. use benzodiazepines and opiates together, um, your chances of death are way higher uh, because they sort of synergistically act to suppress your breathing and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so really, I mean, first of all, don't do drugs and be super careful. Because uh, a lot of times people feel like they can handle it and, and they can't, which is why it's such a problem. But um, just a couple of quick points. But I, I hear what you're saying. So just to kind of recap, marijuana is a soft drug. Um, medium drugs, it sounds like Xanax. And then then the opiates and you, you classify meth as a hard drug. I'd say so. Do you know, do you have a sense of like when you started using anything? Sheesh, I smoked my first blunt sophomore year of high school. And do you have a sense of, like, what got you into it? Friends. And, like, That's just it, kind of, yeah. like, peer pressure, or? I don't know. I'm going to be honest. It smelled really good. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like cigarettes, right? Cigarettes smell really good, but, like, they just taste like shit, right? They're just terrible. Hmm. Weed, it has that smell where you just want to eat it. You literally just want to eat it. Right. But it's like, it's, it's, it, it doesn't actually taste like that when you, right. Some shit like that. That's what I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, peer pressure funny. probably, yeah. Well, no, know. it's, it's actually interesting. So that may not be peer pressure. Um, so this is something that a lot of people don't know is that, you know, so I remember the first time I had a beer, I thought it was disgusting. I, even now when I have a beer, I think it's disgusting. I had one sip <laughs> yeah. of alcohol yesterday and I found it to be absolutely foul and abysmal. Um, and then some of the, the people I've worked with will say that when they had their first sip of alcohol, it tastes delicious. It's like, like so, so oddly enough, there's some evidence that based on how your brain is wired, um, I've never really thought about smell, but the, the taste of things like alcohol can be super, super appealing. Like your taste mm. buds are wired. Like if you have that biological predisposition 
to being vulnerable to like alcohol addiction alcoholism it will, yeah it will taste amazing the first time you try it I, yeah and, i've heard of that and and I'm, I'm not quite i've never really thought about this with marijuana but i i wonder if there's something similar where like something in your brain is like oh that scent is like that has some of the chemical compounds that like i really really want never really thought about it that way before but it's interesting i've never heard someone you know say that the first time i smelled marijuana i like really wanted to eat it it's kind of it's kind of an interesting yeah um, yeah hmm. yeah that's and, it. maybe yeah and so it sounds like you started using pot in high school anything else in high school well i i wasn't really using pot like i wasn't one like okay. i wasn't one of those pothead kids so Make i played dude don't yeah, lose it this time bro no i think it's in my eye low-key but anyways, I wasn't one of those because I played varsity soccer from freshman year all the way to senior year. So like I was constantly doing conditioning, constantly train, train, you know training. Just just blink, because when you well, blink, it... no no yeah yeah. But I have contacts. Oh, I don't know yeah, how so that's going to change anything. So but... when I blink and there's eyelash in there and it gets mixed with my contact, it'll just Ooh. slip underneath and it's even worse. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I didn't realize. No, don't be sorry. It's okay. Um. Because a lot of times the way your eyelid is is designed is it pushes the hair towards the middle when it closes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Hmm. Your eye is designed if you just blink a lot, it'll like come out. Or it should, if you're lucky. But if you've got contacts, I don't know how that's going to change things. Yeah. But anyway, so back to, to high school. I mean, or, or so, so it sounds like in college you started experimenting with like soft to medium. Yeah, well, I kind of fell out of the weed thing, you know, I don't know when, like junior year of high school, you know, I started kind of, that that was the point where I, you know, I think everyone hits a point where you hit a stage in your life, if you're lucky, I think, right, because some people just kind of stay, you know, whatever, but I think everyone hits a stage in their life where they start overthinking, right, they start hmm. overthinking, they trip themselves out, and I hit that, I hit that phase, so anytime I'd smoke, I just overthink, I just you know, freak myself out for no fucking reason. You know what I mean? And I just stopped that all around, right? I just, yeah. So marijuana stopped. And then I think like freshman year, I started fucking around some Xanax. You know, I do the mixing stuff you talked about was bad, which is like drinking that terrible. And do you then, have a sense of what pulled you towards that train? I would just say just the... Just the it's college i mean i don't know okay. it was kind of the party life you know everyone was kind of just i don't know you know it was something you'd see at a blue mountain state you know some chick you know you know down getting crazy in the bathroom you know what i'm saying pop one of those take a shot start fucking you know kind of like one of those crazy things right kind of happens and then from there you're like damn this feels good and you want to feel that again right but you can never feel that again because the whole trick you're always chasing that but anyways yeah i don't really like it too much to be honest i mean it feels good in the moment but hey that xanax hangover whew, that is terrible that Wait, oh man we, that feeling oof. can we rewind a little bit i i didn't understand some of what you said and and maybe that's because i just can't relate to some of the experience there but um <laughs> what is the what do you mean by the trick Oh, the trick. So it's like, you know, I mean, it's especially in like, especially in opiates, right? But this, I think, applies to any drug, right? Like, when you take it for your first time, what you're going to feel is just absolute 
euphoria, greatness, amazingness, unstoppableness, right? And then from there on, right, after a couple more times, you might feel that way. And then from there on, you start building a tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of chasing that original high. You're chasing the dragon, sure. right? So you take more, you take more, you mix this, mix that, but you never really hit it until you fuck your life up, right? So that's what I meant by chasing the high. Got it. Yeah. And, and so I'm just curious. I mean, you mentioned early on that you were kind of insecure, that you craved chaos. You would kind of frame the discussion with well, those at the beginning. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sir. Those aren't connected. I just want to make it clear because I still crave chaos, but yeah. Okay. I mean, are either of those connected with kind of like, you know, the freshman party lifestyle, maybe how you felt about yes. yourself? The insecurity. Yeah. 100%. I'm how not so? really a partier because I'm not really a party. Like, like what I am is. Because you sound like one hell of a partier, dude. Yeah. I'm listen, I can have a good time, right? You know, I think to this day still. I've thrown, you know, the best party at a convention. So, like, I know how to have a good time. I'm Persian. You know, Persians, we love to party. We love to have a good time. But I'm more of like a, you know, hang out with, you know, the three kids in science class in grandma's basement, do some science experiments, eat some chips, watch some TV, play a board game. That's me. It doesn't look like me, but that's what I enjoy. Partying, it's not me. It just, it's so tiring. It's just... It's just tiring. Like any, like it's the crazy part. We talked about this last time. You know, like I'm a very outgoing person. You know, I I excel in any social situation. You put, you throw me into a bin of strangers, and I'll come out. You know, friends with all of them. But man, it is is it tiring? Because hmm. like when I go into these, I don't see it. Like I don't see it for like. So, for example, at a party, if you go to a party, right? I don't see a party as just people having a good time. I'm looking and it's just like everyone's like everyone's trying to forget. Everyone's trying to uh push something that they need to do away. They're miserable, they're sad, they're depressed. No one's actually everyone's fronting. Do you understand? Like maybe there's a few people that have their shit together and they're actually having a good time. One time they're going to go back and study tomorrow, but it's like it's just it's just a cesspool of shit. It's the same with bars, right? Like for me, you know, I worked in the bars for a bit and when I look at a bar or a club, it just looked so gloomy to me. Everyone else saw it as fun and escape. Let's have, you know, let's go, you know, this, that adventure. To me, it was just this, it was a trick. It was literally a trick and no one could see it, right? It was this crazy thing. That's at least the way my brain saw it. So yeah, it's never been, a, that's never been me. But I think in the search for myself, I guess that's just one of the paths that took me down. And so when you were partying, like, let's say early in college, I mean, would you say it was an escape for you? No. What was it for you? It was a search for adventure. That's what it was. Yeah. It was a search for something. I was hoping that, you know, some crazy shit happened. I'll be real. Fuck, some crazy shit happened in those days. I have some stories for you. Oh, we can go for hours. We don't have that today, though, but wow. But yeah. Do you feel like sharing adventure. one? Just to give us a sense of what Well, it's about. not. <laughs> oh, if it's not street, well, stream it, friendly, then that's totally fine. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> it's stream friendly, but <laughs> I don't know how relevant it is. Just, yeah. What's your All right, hesitation? So, well, it's just. You know, there's certain things, you know, you can't talk about because people don't, I, I'll just tell you. So 
I was with this guy named Kyle. Okay. It's funny because me and Kyle started as enemies. He was the best fighter in our school. He didn't like me. And he actually went to my high school. And he was one of the kids that kind of fucked with me and bullied me. But we, we ended up connecting after we kind of like fought. Always seems to be the case. Um, anyways. He's, he's the one that had issues with you because you walked in with your head held high? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And, but he had his own issues. He, his, his dad was, you know, military and, you know, it was some crazy shit. You know, his friends would tell me stories, you know, they'd go to his house after school. Think, this is in high school. Think about this. A, a kid that's 16 years old. He brings his friends over and his dad literally drunk as hell just beats the fuck out of him in front of his friends. Some fucked up shit. So I felt for the guy. He was, he was a little twisted, but anyway, so fast forward to college and him and I go to a party. There's this place called The View. At the time, it was good. I don't know if it's trash now or not. But I remember I walk in with him, and we're kind of just getting fucked up, right? And just drinking. And I'm standing outside. I have, like, I have like the last two beers in the whole party, right? That's how college works, right? God knows where the hell the liquor's coming from. It's, half the time, it's hidden in the owner's you know, room. Um, anyways, and I'm standing outside, you know, I'm double fisting the beer, right? Some trash piss American beer, right? Some Keystone Light or some trash like that. Terrible, by the way. Um, I'm sitting there, and this, this big motherfucker, 6'9", 6'9", 250, huge motherfucker, like just steroid, geeked up, walks up to me. It's like, you're holding one of my beers. I go, no, I'm not, right? At that point, I'm drunk, right? I'm feeling that good buzz, right? I'm, I'm at a point where Superman could have walked up to me and I would have thought I was his kryptonite, you know? I would have, fuck, I would have, I would have stolen Lois Lane from him, you know? That's where I was mentally. This dude's 6'9", 250, just steroided out. He's with his friend, and his friend was a mutual of mine. He tries to grab my beer. I turn away. I knock his hat off. It falls over the balcony. He pushes me, and then a group of kids form this, like, alleyway out into the hallway and they want us to fight but we end up like scruffling and fighting in the kitchen and he throws a punch at me and i dodge it and his his hand goes through the door and the door like the doors in these college areas are paper thin it's not like these nice wooden doors paper thin his hand goes through this door and i remember everyone's like oh and we, all, we both freeze i look I, I turn behind me i look and all I see is my friend Kyle's bare ass cheeks, just clapping cheeks. Just, just he's going to town on this other chick in the bathroom on the sink. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, Kyle!" Right? And then he he runs out, right? Puts his pants on. We go into the hallway, and to this day, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I dreamt this because I was in this Superman God complex mode. Where this dude's throwing his haymakers, right? He's this big guy. He's slow. And, you know, his, 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 tra his, uh, his lats are huge. So he can't throw a straight punch. He has to throw these haymakers. And I remember when I was looking at him, it was as if they were just slow motion. I was dodging and I was laughing because it was so slow to me. And each one I dodged, I jabbed him. I jabbed him. And I ended up winning that. I mean, if he was smart, he would have just took me to the ground and fucked me up. But he wasn't. So I guess that, that's the stereotype of the meathead. But yeah, so that happened. And then the next day we end up going to a party and he ends up being there and his face is just messed up. And he's with like six of his boys. I'm by myself. 
very fucking awkward. But ho- fortunately, he was a good guy, and he apologized. I apologized. And we, we're cool now. Wow. That's the story. Yeah. I have I a lot of those. The, I have some crazy the, fucking the most, stories. The craziest thing about that story train is that when you said you saw a pair of ass cheeks clapping, I was like, what? Right, because you're in the middle of a fight, and that's that's the whole, that's the whole thing. It's, it's some like, shit out of a movie, yeah. Well, yeah. Why are there but like, and then there's like no, there's no like segue into the the door was open. No, it wasn't saw... open. The guy punched through the door. Oh, and when he I pulled see. his hand out. There's a huge hole, and I and look into the seeing, hole, and, and it's a... literally just a pair of ass cheeks, and you just hear, right? He's just going to town. It was some, that's... it was some hot shit. Yeah, it was hot as hell, but I was in my adrenaline mode, so I couldn't really get into that. Tug one out. I was, <laughs> yeah <laughs> crazy shit yeah that that's wild man yeah yeah it was yeah anyways so around i'd say i'd, I'd say around sophomore year i met these two kids and um they were actually pre-med they had like 4.2 gpas crazy gpas you know always studying in uh you know the office hours I think we called it lab or some shit like that. And they were like smart ass motherfuckers. Like they they were they were on track, you know, to, you know, a top 10 med school. And at that time, in my eyes, that's like the most credible thing around me, right? You got someone that, you know, has a good family, is a good guy, has good values, has a high GPA, on track to a top 10 med school, you know, doing shadowing and, you know, uh uh internships things like that right to me that's credible now these guys they were secretly fucked up right they were on some crazy shit right percocets oxycon they were smoking them doing heroin so you know i kind of got involved with them and in my head i'm thinking okay well can't be that bad these guys are smart they're doing well fuck like right right fuck it why not yeah people who have their shit together are doing it so yeah, I can too. Right. Some shit like that, yeah. So it started out with, you know, perks. From perks, you know, smoking perks. From smoking perks to OCs. From OCs, smoking OCs. Then OCs got banned and you had these things called Opanas, which had a coating over it so you couldn't smoke it. And then from there, you know, obviously those are 20 to 50 to $80 a pill. You can get that amount times 100 for that same price if you do heroin instead of that. And realistically, what people don't know is Percocet is literally synthetic heroin. It's a clean heroin, right? It's a pharmaceutical heroin, right? No one knows that. Everyone thinks they take a perk, you know, you know, because like there's a stigma behind heroin and there should be, but yet Percocet's like this accepted thing if you get it prescribed, but it's the same fucking shit. So, right. And and I guess at the time that that's a very dangerous, you know, thing kind of, say because by it sounds like i'm justifying it it sounds like i'm saying oh well percocets are prescribed this is the same thing it's just dirty right so it should be okay but it's not okay so i want to make that very clear that's a very dangerous what what is not okay i'm confused like is it saying to yourself a percocet is prescribed so that's okay or no i'm saying that like it's cheaper i'm saying like if you know if you go to your boy's house and on the counter you see his mom's percocet prescription you don't think oh what a fucking drug addict disgusting i gotta get out of here bad vibes sure. right sure. but if you you know see a needle in heroin you're gonna or the fucking needle if you just see heroin on the counter you're like fuck like i, I gotta get the fuck out of here and call the cops or never come back here again right 
but it's like they're one and the same realistically right like sure th that's what i'm talking about right so yeah anyways so you know that happened you know some heroin for like let's say three years tried meth once the meth experience Whoa. was nuts crazy story for you there fuck <laughs> that was nuts i remember i came home i i, I told my mom i spilled you know some some uh, uh uh chemical shampoo in my face and she's like are those meth mites what the fuck oh she was tripping balls crazy i was it was, it was terrible i thought i was gonna die i was up for seven and a half days I'm she sure like, was tripping she was pissed yeah like tripping as in pissed she was real angry she you know, i don't know what i was used meth i mean listen if you would have saw my face because i sat there i was picking the whole like because listen so the meth the meth thing was like the at the very end of this binge or binder, whatever the fuck you call it. So when I did meth, okay, I was with this like pro baseball player's kid. And we were at this like nice apartment and it was just him and I. And I remember like before we did it, the same two kids that I did like started heroin with, they're like, yo, if you're gonna do this with them, you need to make sure to tell them to eat and drink water. You need to. Motherfucker didn't. So I remember like I took this shit, like I smoked this on Wednesday. I smoked some meth on Wednesday, okay? I remember I walk out of the door thinking it's Thursday afternoon. I'm about to go home. I check my phone. I have like 300 missed calls, right? It's fucking Tuesday of the following week. Somehow, like a whole week had passed by and I was sitting there awake playing. I remember ML, some MLB, MLB like 2K9 on the PlayStation. I played MLB 2K9 on the PlayStation for like six days. And I walked out of the house thinking it was it's only one day. It's, it, was, it was like six days. I was gone. And my parents thought I was dead. It was some crazy fucking shit. And I had no fucking clue. My face was swollen. I was sitting there picking my face and shit. Like, I had no idea that, that much time had passed. Imagine that. It was some crazy fucking shit. It was, it was nuts. Combat shit. Terrible. Yeah. So, uh, that that sounds crazy dude um yeah pretty bad i'm just trying to think so like like you said that you you were using so what like first of all your mom knows what meth mites are <laughs> she googled it <laughs> but what did she google like so you come home and then i what come happens? home i have like scabs and just red all over my face she types in red scabs all over her face and it says meth mites and she's like are those meth mites i'm like the fuck are those <laughs> yeah I, I, I look i look that shit up it says like you know when, when you're high in meth or whatever like you have this like weird thing where you perceive there to be or you think there is like tiny mites underneath your yeah. skin so you have to pick them out it wasn't the case for me but some crazy fucking shit like that yeah it was it, it was a crazy fucking thing she was fucking mad and she was crying and that was terrible i, I let her down at that point but yeah so uh, uh trained i mean what what were you what was going through your head let's say like you know like a year before that point so it sounds like you were using heroin for a couple or opiates of some kind for a couple of years off yeah. and on like what did you think about your life and what did you think about yourself and what did you think about use well nothing because i somehow found this balance that gave me this per perfect like denial slash delusion that like there was something wrong here I found the balance. I was, you know, double majored up. I had good grades. You know, I had, you know, I had good grades, great grades. I had two very difficult majors. I was getting by and doing very well, right? 
I was on track to, you know, a top 20 law school. Everything was fine. It, like, it wasn't this thing where I just tossed everything aside. I started selling my parents jewelry and getting high. Like, mm. I was, I found this thing where I could cold turkey. And it all goes back to, like, what I told you earlier. Like, that's that storyline, that, that, that hope, that adventure. Like, deep down, I preferred that over any high, right? Any escape, any shortcut. I preferred that real thing, that search for that real thing, that connection overall. And that's what allowed me to actually get out of it myself, right? There well, has to be something you love more than the high. So like, I see, but that, that's how so you like, got it. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't. So like when I say I was using for three years, what I mean is like, I wasn't using for three years straight. What I would do is for one week I would use, then I'd cold turkey and I was off for three months. Then okay. I'd be on for two weeks then I'd be off for four months, right? Then I'd be on for a week, then I'd be off for two months. Like I could do that. Somehow I could do, I'm sure it was fucking my body up, but somehow I found a method where I could cold turkey off and on and just use it like recreationally almost while also going to school and having a job, right? So it's not, so I didn't toss my job out. I didn't toss school out. I was still doing all of these things. And then like, you know, if I had nothing to do one weekend, right? If everything was done with, I had a week off. That's when I'd use it, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So it's it's interesting, Train. I really appreciate the conversation because I'm learning a lot. So as a clinician, I think the people who were like you never really enter my office. Like I've never worked with someone who's had an addiction. Let me think about this before I actually say it. No one comes to mind right now. I mean, usually the people that wind up in my office are the ones that can't cold turkey after a week of use. It's like one week turns into two weeks, turns into three months, turns into six months, turns into eight months. It does start yeah. to affect things. In, in my time of using, here's the fucked up part. You know, and not many people know this, but anyone who's in the heroin game, right? Your friends, or at that, you know, I guess from an outside perspective, none of them are your friends. They're your acquaintances or people you're smoking with. But when you're in that, you know, world, they're, they're your friends. They're dropping like flies, right? Like four or five friends ODing a week dead, right? I, I've had people die in front of me, like some crazy shit like that, like some shit you'd see out of a fucking movie. And like, I've seen it, like, like people don't understand it's some fucked up shit, right? It's not like the dude's eyes are closed and he's just passed out. You touch him. Oh, he's cold, right? It's like, right? Dude's shivering, shaking, right? He's scared, right? It's some fucked up shit, right? Like, I've, I've seen some fucked up shit, especially because like everyone shot up. That's one thing I, I promised myself I'd never do. I never went past smoking it. I never shot up, ever. So many people died. And if anyone like is ever in that game, they know it is it's it's people just die so, Trey, like, it's when, just when, fucked when, up when people are dying what goes through your head the same thing that goes through everyone's head for every other thing in the world not going to happen to me i'm careful right that's the story of everyone's life i think for every situation right look at covid right yeah. covid no one was masked not gonna happen to me right and then suddenly their family member gets it and now they want to be you know they want, they want to start taking precautions Right. Did any did anyone around you think you had a problem or tried to talk to you about it? like did your parents know? Um I think they I don't know. 
I hid it from them for a while. I finally told them, and they helped me. And yeah, no, they didn't know because I wasn't home much. Yeah. Did anyone kind of express concern about what you? Were oh, doing? every day. Oh, my, my parents expressed concern every day, but they didn't know what was going on. But they knew there was something up. Persian parents, typical yeah. shit. What and what? What, did they, what would they say? I mean, typical Persian parent kid stuff. Like what? What? What is that? I don't know. For me, it's all just melded into <laughs> t- typical. I'm sure Blurs. you can imagine. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Well, take... so I, I mean, so so for Trey, for, you know, for you. Yeah, go ahead. My, I mean, my story is like quite different because I wasn't using any drugs in college. And yeah, well, I was referring I, to like, like if, if you didn't do your homework or if, you, or if you had homework, like whatever they'd bicker at you there, take that exact line and throw it at this. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the thing with me is that I was failing out of college though, right? So it sounds like you were using oh, you were? drugs, but absolutely, bro. Oh, Dude, shit. after after two years of college, I had less than a 2.0 GPA. Well, you got to get into those uh, groups. I have this little secret society in college, right? There's this, like, little, there's this group. Motherfuckers charge like 25 bucks per class they'd give you. These guys had the fucking intel, right? They knew all the five credit courses where the teacher didn't give a shit, right? And if you get an A+, plus, that's a 4.3 in a five credit course, that's a huge GPA boost, right? That's a huge pad. So you take a couple of those, you know, boost, the, you know, the 2.0, 2.5 to a 3.2, 3.3, you know, Take a couple more of them, you know, you end up graduating, you know, whatever the fuck, cum laude, summa cum laude, whatever the fuck those are. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I didn't, I didn't know about that. But secondly, I, I mean, my, my GPA was pretty wrecked, man. Like when you've got, you know, a string of 0.0s, like when you got a string of Fs on your transcript, it's, it's yeah. hard to, I mean, I, I sort of, I ended up graduating with like a 2.5, like, and that was busting my ass for three years. Didn't your school have that thing where, where the, like, like up to 12 credits they forgive? I mean, it still shows in the transcript, but this, it shows that it, it counts the second grade. Great, counts I, the I second mean, grade. In, if they did yeah. train, I was so disorganized that I didn't apply for it. I think it's, yeah, I think, I think it's automatic. That, that, but I well, know. I mean, it may be, it may have been something that they instituted later, but like I went to college back in like 2000. Like I started college in like 2001. So, oh wow! How'd you get their horses? Uh, we would walk through the snow, my dude. Horses were too high tech. Yeah, figured. You know, back when it snowed in Austin all the time, unlike this past week, it just I snowed heard. two days yeah, ago. Yeah, I heard, insane. I've been hearing about yeah. it from everyone under the sun. Yeah. yeah. You know what's crazy though? Uh, before we go off on this tangent, um, or whatever the fuck. Anyways, what's crazy is, uh, in all of that. Right now, everything we talked about, there actually was a moment, right, where I was off the rails. I remember it was senior year, right? It was all done. I was graduating. I was working in a bar, right? It was the hottest bar in, in the entire state of Arizona, right? In Scottsdale, old town. And I was doing some crazy shit. Like, I was mixing. We're talking heroin, Xanax drinking steroids like we're talking four different things hardcore and so, at this time just to jump ahead. in train like seriously if anyone there is watching that shit will kill you 
Oh, one hundred percent, it will. Lethal. And I'll tell you. In, yeah, I'll tell you in a second what happened. At the time, I wasn't very too. I wasn't too serious about my, about my bipolar, right? And there's a huge thing that happens with steroids and bipolar. I guess any of those drugs, realistically. All of that, all that mixing and fucking around, I ended up having a psychotic break. It was called acute psychosis. It was a temporary psychosis for two and a half months. I remember my parents found me in the living room, banging a controller in my head, the remote control for the TV. And I was gibber, gibbering some shit. I was, whatever, saying some, whispering some shit like a fucking cult, cult leader. Man, that psychotic break. You want to talk about hell? Fuck. My entire, like, the best way I can explain this, like, in, in, in short. There's a moment when you're kind of like lucid dreaming asleep, but like, you don't actually know that you're asleep yet, right? You think you're actually awake. And this is your real world, right? There's a moment where you're in a nightmare. And in like, the, at the precipice of the nightmare, there is this just pure feeling of terror and evil in the pit of your stomach, right? You just want to escape, you want to run, you're praying that this is a dream, you want to wake up. That moment, where literally when you finally do wake up, and it kind of just like, you know, kind of whatever the, you know, I'm trying to think of the word it, it slowly kind of dissipates, right? That feeling was my, it was my state of mind. It was my constant state of mind for two and a half months. And all I was hoping for is one day would I wake up? Did I fuck up? Is this permanent? You know, like it was, it was hell. It was. Sounds terrifying. I get goosebumps talking about it to this day. I was in this two and a half month nightmare where no matter what I did, who I talked to, where I was, it was like, I'm about to cry. It was scary. It was some fucked up shit. And the thoughts I had, man, some shit out of one of those fucking uh, Tarantino movies and all of it to myself, to others, like just some fucked up shit, twisted shit. Like I was just, that was an insane two and a half months of my life. I, I don't think there is any hallucinogen, psychedelic, any, any, none of that stuff that has ever gotten me as close to myself as those two and a half months. The amount I, mean, I learned, hmm. it, because those, like those, 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 those locked chests, locked deep, deep into the abyss of your mind are rarely, rarely even like gotten close to you know, in like self-reflection and self-discovery and like looking inward, right? And in that state of mind, all of them were like at my disposal. I was so deep and so in, I was in the darkest crevices and all of them were unlocking. Like just, it was just some crazy fucking shit. I can't even explain to you. It was some insane shit. Like it was just, fuck, that was some crazy, crazy shit. I came back. So, hey. Or did yeah, I? I you know, train. I, I think it's it, certainly, you know, what you're describing. I think sometimes people don't realize that hallucinogens and psychosis and even meditation share some amount of like common aspects. Like if you look at the neuroscience of it and how it affects your brain, um, but psychosis and hallucin and, and hallucinogens are quite different. 
there is uh, oh. like yeah. yeah yeah i know i was i was yeah. making a reference to it yeah yeah go ahead um and and so i'm i'm really sorry you went through that man that sounds you know i, I can't imagine i've had some scary experiences in meditation but they they tend to last at most 24 hours i don't think i've ever had a negative experience that's lasted longer than 24 hours but for two and a half months to kind of be trapped in that place, I can imagine it feels like quite hopeless and traumatic. Have you ever had your ear plugged? N like just your ears by... plugged, like like in a plane, you know, your ears get plugged? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever tried to yawn and sometimes yeah. it doesn't unclog, right? That feeling where you yawn and it doesn't pop, that was the feeling I had every morning waking up. Every morning when I woke up, I was hoping I'd open my eyes. Like that moment where I, I kind of gained consciousness, but I'm not awake yet. I was hoping to open my eyes and I'd look around and I was back to me. Yep. And that, that feeling, mean. that feeling where you open your it's mouth and it doesn't pop. Like that, that feeling you have that like you can't get it to pop and there's no other way to get it to pop and you're stuck in this way until finally once, somehow it pops by itself. That's the feeling I had every day trying to get back to me and hoping I'd come back to me. And that was two and a half months. It was fucking crazy. It was insane. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you know that it's not your normal existence. Yeah, I was aware of it. I was conscious. You can't I was get back there. Yeah. And you're wondering, am I ever going to be normal again? That's the scary part about it, right? Like, if I was, like, ignorant to it, and I just kind of fried myself, and I went brain, you know, whatever the hell, right? Like, I'm sure that'd be shitty and fucked up, probably more so for those around me. But I myself wouldn't know. But being hyper aware of the situation and being trapped within myself, knowing that it's not me, but being stuck in this thing where I know how I should feel, but what I do feel is this terror and there's nothing I can do to make it go away is just this, it's this terrible, terrible thing. Mm. And, and so um, it, it sounds like you got treatment at some point. For the psychotic break I did, I went to the hospital and stuff and... Yeah, and then I ended up seeing a psych psychiatrist. Psychi I'm, I'm going to keep it a buck 50 with you. You're the best psychiatrist I've ever seen. You know, obviously we're doing this. This isn't an actual session, but you're the best psychiatrist I've ever seen in my entire life. I've been to hundreds, okay, of psychiatrists and psychologists. Every, no joke, no exaggeration. I know I exaggerate a shit ton. This one thing, I'm not exaggerating. Every psychiatrist I have seen, I walk into the office, okay, because they're all from referral. The ones I saw, I, I couldn't just see. I had to go through, you know, I had to get a referral to them. I'd walk in, no eye contact, you know, sitting there, already writing a prescription, right? No fucks given of the context of what's going on, just kind of assuming the worst, right? You know, ask me a question. I try to give him context, just the typical condescending, patronizing, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. All right, Tyler, you're going to take this and this and this, and then they give it to me, right? It's like, no shot. N none of them listened. None of them gave a shit, right? Like, there's a big difference between, you know, an in, you know, an induced psychotic break versus, you know, some hereditary natural occurrence of one, right? Like there's a difference, but they didn't give a shit about that, right? They didn't care that mine was induced through steroid usage and drug usage, right? So like, it was just this, all of them to all of them. And these are like top rated psychiatrists. They just didn't give a fuck. Psychologists on their hand, I loved, right? I mean, it took me, it took me a long time, you know, and I hear this, this is common between a lot of people. And I think this will actually help people. You know, if you feel like your psychologist doesn't, you know, connect with you, listen, keep, keep moving around, keep, keep, keep testing out new ones, you know, eventually you'll find one that's on your wavelength, right, that understands you, you know, there's some that are very, uh, like, 
what's what I'm trying to look like, like mathematical, that they're very like mm. precise, rational, right? Like there is no feeling and, you know, they don't understand the irrationalness, right? And, and, and I can't vibe with that kind of person, right? Yep. I can't do it. So I have to find someone that's on my wavelength, understands my feelings, my impulses, no matter how irrational they are, understands them on that level. And it, it took me, fuck, I probably, it took me probably six, seven months to find one person that ended up really, really uh, connecting with me. And I remember, I'm going to cry, the, f the moment I found that person, I remember, I tried to say, I tried to say one word, and I just broke, I cried the entire session for the first like two weeks. Every session for the first two weeks, I had three sessions a week. I cried all of them. Just like six sessions, I only cried. Like there was nothing else said. He said, okay, see you next week. I, I just cried for six weeks. It was, it was for, for six sessions. It, it was just insane. Yeah, it, it was crazy. But yeah, you'll find one if you hop around. There is someone out there for you that will understand you. So definitely uh, keep trying. You know, don't be unmotivated if, if, if you don't find the right psych psychologist in the first go. Yeah, I, I, Train, I'm really glad you're kind of sharing that message with everyone because I'd echo it 100%. Um, you know, I think that fit is so important. And there are so many different styles of, of therapy and styles of therapists and even styles of psychiatrists. And, and I think that like, you know, what we meant, the mental health, you know, clinical training is, is not precise, right? You have all these different theories and all these different perspectives. And like, you've got Freudian people and Jungian people and cognitive behavioral therapists and psychodynamic therapists and people who are a little bit mindfulness oriented. And there's just so many different flavors. And I think really therapy, because we don't have the instruments that the rest of medicine does, you know, when you've got CT scans and and blood tests and, and, you know, COVID nasal swabs and things like that. There's a lot of precision about how to handle things right and how to do things, you know, what's right and what isn't. Yeah. Whereas my experience in, in therapy has been that it's, it's really more or just as much art as it is science. There's a lot of science to it, but you know, we don't, there, it's interesting. There've been studies done where people will try to classify like characteristics of patients and classify mm -hmm. characteristics of, of, therapists and they'll try to match them based on using data and it turns out that that doesn't work <laughs> it, it, you know you can try to do as much data analysis as you want to you can say oh like train has a history of addictions and this therapist this therapist has a lot of experience with addictions maybe they'll be a good match turns out that you can't really it just doesn't work can't match people um yep there's no uh there's no formula well people haven't figured it out yet i, I think that there's still a formula out there but you know, we just haven't, we don't have the precision. We haven't been able to capture that, that secret sauce that allows you to see therapists for six months and, and see this next person and then like really open up to them for two weeks. And also for that therapist to know how to respond to you opening up for them to understand that, you know, these tears have been built up and the dam is opening up and that like, we got to just let them out. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your perspective. I think. Um... Thank you. No problem. I actually, uh, after I stopped using uh, drugs or hard drugs like that, like heroin and stuff like that, like meth, after I stopped like entirely, I actually went back and helped some of my old friends that were addicted. And, you know, obviously I tried to get them to a psychologist, you know, after I finally got them out of their denial. Heroin denial is one of the, it's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like I don't, I've seen gambling denial. I've seen every drug denial, heroin denial is so frustrating. 
it just if they don't want it it's not going to happen you could put them you could force them i've seen parents do it you could force them two years of rehab the moment they come out they might be good for a week you better bet your ass the first difficult thing that they face they can't handle and they go right back to it how like, did you you have to you have to want it what's up how did you come out of your denial well i wanted to right like that's the difference like so there's one thing that I had that helped me a lot in that. And it's what I talked about earlier. I kind of have this. So my anchor, it's a dream. It's an idea. It's highly improbable, but not impossible. And that's my anchor in life. And I've taken that and I've buried it deep, deep, deep within me where it can never be taken away, you know, unless I'm killed. And that is what got me out of it. It's to achieve that, to get that, like the wanting of that, the feeling that that gave me, you know, it. But Trent, was that always surpassed. there? Yeah, it was. It's been there so, since so, I can remember. So I'm going to express a little bit of skepticism just because I, sure. I want to kind of push Please. you on this. And because okay. I, I, I'm sure that you'll have the answer, but I think it's important to find because like, here's, okay. here's what I'm thinking. Okay. So the dream was always deep within you. And then there's this period mm -hmm. of time in college where despite the dream, and then when I ask you, how did you get out of it? You said, well, I started wanting my dream. But then at the same time, like, I, I don't see how that's different from when you were in college and you were using and finding that balance and you, the dream was always there. So still, like, how did you move from like where you were in college to like wanting to quit? I understand that you say that you have to want to. So then the question kind of I, I ask sort of as a clinician and I ask like theoretically and also like educationally is how does what was your journey to change your wants to value that over the heroin or other things like like how did you come out of the denial I get that that's the anchor that was your north star but like why did you start caring about moving towards the north star to begin with um I think it's I've, I, you know, I've never really thought about that, but if I were to try to think about it right now on the spot and kind of give you a quick thing, I, I'd have to reflect on it a lot more to give you an actual accurate answer. But if I were to guess right now, I would say it's how I was raised. I would say it's my parents. It's the love they kind of instilled within me. Um, you know, they kind of taught me like they gave me a self-worth that they gave me, you know, like I think that that's what it is. Cause I remember all the times that I stopped, it wasn't this thing where I planned it. Okay. I'm going to do this for four days because I have four days, right? That's not how I went down. I did it day one. I didn't think about the next day, right? And then each of these times, every time it never failed, I'd wake up randomly after day six or day five or day seven or day four. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Right? Like, it, it's like, it, it was never me to begin with. I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? And that one realization where the other me kind of wakes up, right? I don't know if we want to go as deep as saying maybe it's the bipolar split personality. I don't know. But the other me would be like, what the fuck's going on here, right? And that me would always come out after the aftermath of me fucking my body. And my body was weak. And I think like that weakness allowed the other me to come out. I don't know. I don't know. This sounds like some crazy talk. I know it does. But like that was, that was how it went down every me, time. Man. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's what happened every time. So, so then, but let me ask you another question that I'm going to keep pushing you. Okay. And, and it's because I, I like, I think you're, you're getting there. 
or I think this is like valuable because I think this is this is the question that everyone asks, right? Train is like, how? How did you quit? And what I'm going to press you on now is that like, okay, so you'd wake up, you'd be weak in your body. Like you'd say like, what the fuck am I doing? And then like the, this, like sort of this train that was built up through the love of your parents and like this self-respect and things like that, basically like shown through, right? It's almost like you have cloudy skies and the sun's always there. And sometimes the clouds part and you get this like ray of sunshine. So like after six days of a bender, you get that ray of sunshine where you're kind of like, but then what happens is the clouds always come back, right? Because then a month later, two months later, three months later, you start using again. So what changed? What what changed so that- The awareness, to- the, the awareness of it. So I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. What changed is- mm-mm. I've always, so, you know, I forgot what the fuck it's called. I think it's called like hyper, like it's having bipolar and split personality. You can have a version of it where you're not aware and there's a version of it where you're hyper aware, but you can't do anything about it still, right? That's kind of been me in every aspect of my life. So because of my hyper awareness of the situation, right? Like I understood what the, it's like, I think I got lucky and my overthinking or I don't know what it was. I'm not sure what it was, but here's the point. Everyone says not even once. Everyone says this is addicting, right? And because of my, you know, ability to go on and off because my, you know, to, I never really got like that. The urge was never to do the heroin. The only urge I ever had was maybe the withdrawals were fucking shit. And I wanted, I didn't want to deal with them today. Right. But it was never the actual heroin, but I realized a little bit later on what did not even once meant i realized what the addiction is the addiction is what you just said where the clouds come back now what i've done is i've normalized the new baseline for my sorrows and for my escape right for a lot of people that baseline is alcohol it's weed and that's it that's where they go everything else is scary it's a no-no but once you open up the realm and you realize holy shit I've popped this pill before. This feels the same. This isn't that scary thing on the commercial, which it is, by the way, right? Once you do that, that is your new baseline. So the next time that I feel sad, depressed, and fucked up with nothing going for me, I'm not going to think I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to think, hey, where can I buy some heroin, right? And I realize that is the lifelong addiction of the drug because it is now the normalized new baseline for me. And once I realized that, I understood it. like that's kind of like that was like half the part where it, I realized like it just needs to stop it needs to be done otherwise how did you realize it I mean I this is going to sound crazy but This is a different, I guess this is a different talk. I guess that this would go into the bipolar split personality OCD part of it all. But so every three to four months, I'll wake up and I'll literally like whole new style, whole new taste of food, different body composition, everything different, everything you can think of, favorite color, different, what I'm into. Right. Even, even, and I, you know, my poor girlfriend, you know, I, I feel so bad. She's such a good girl. She's such an amazing person, but she has, she has to kind of deal with it, but I just get uninterested and 
you know, I, I, I changed completely. Like I'm talking full body composition change, right? Like I'm talking like from, you know, just normal body to like everything tight, athletic. Like it, it's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't understand it. I've been explained to it a hundred times. You just I wake up get some it. days and you're ripped. No, 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 no. It's no, it's like every four months, five months. That's like the cycle. No, I, I'm not ripped, but it's just like things are tighter. Okay. And my body composition is different. The, like tension? The way, the way I taste, the way I smell, everything's different. Okay. I think, like, I, I don't know how to answer how did I know. I think that I, I, I just kind of woke up. I'm like, what am I doing? This is not, this is disgusting. I, I just, there was, there was a side of me. I just, I did not fuck with it. It was, it was, it was a shame, right? Like, and, and, and that's, that's, that's been the lifelong shit it's, it's been the curse of my fucking mental disease i sit there for so long working progressing building on myself and then one day i wake up and i black out for like three months and that three month me ruins everything toss my money out don't give a fuck go party fuck my body up stop the gym gamble everything away i don't care and then i wake up again right three months after that not remembering a fucking thing, everything gone, and I'm disgusted, right? Because that, like, there's, does that make any sense? It's some crazy that fucking can, shit. That I can relate to, oddly enough. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think for me, it was, it was more with gaming. But, you know, in my first couple of years <laughs> of college and even high school, it was like, you know, I disappear. So start of the semester, this semester is going to be different, right? I'm going to study hard. For the first week, I do fantastic. First weekend rolls around start playing games, you know, Sunday night, Saturday night, I stay up super late, wake up late on Sunday, Sunday night, I stay up super late, miss my class on Monday. Ah, fuck it. I missed one class. I can afford to miss a class. Skip the rest of my classes on Monday game. Tuesday rolls around. Yep. I do that too. Classic you know? excuses. I like that. And then, you know, it's like, now that I missed one class, like I'll start off, it'll be better tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow. And then like that's, that doubt starts creeping up. At least for me, I knew I was making mistakes. I was like, it's happening again. It's happening again. And I'd be like, well, 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 that shows itself through like anxiety, depression. Like that's what it comes out as from your subconscious, right? When, when you yeah. So, that. so, so it would start to come out from my subconscious and I would say I'm doing it again yeah. and I'd snap the door closed on it. I want I definitely went through that a lot myself too. Yeah, that's happened to me quite a bit. And and then like anything to, f to keep it from coming out of the subconscious. So then I got to play more and more and more and more and more. And then I found myself spiraling and I knew I was fucking up my life. I think the really interesting thing is, you know, Train, I, I know it sounds like you're not making sense, but this is the story that I hear over and over and over again. This is why addictions is so hard because I, I think at the end of the day, like there are a couple of questions that have been bouncing around in my mind. There are yeah. going to be people watching right now who may be where you were in the middle of college, where you thought you were different. You thought you could handle it. Exactly. And what I'm trying yep. to figure out is like, what can we explore in today's like discussion that will oh, help that person. I got it. Understand. I got it. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Cool. I got it now. Beautiful. I got, I, I, I understand what you're asking now. Okay. okay. So here is the moment. Here's how I realized it needs to stop. Here's how I realized it needs to be done somewhere. So I actually wrote this thesis. <laughs> um, and 
it was it, it was a very informal one um it was just kind of i was fucking around i shouldn't even call it a thesis i just call it a paper on delusions of grandeur and shit like that call it what and it I, is strength call yeah, it yeah. a thesis and i i feel like th there's this you know obviously you know i don't have the stats to back it but you know just just from you know it's anecdotal just say it Trent. i feel i feel like there's this this age category from like 18 to like 24 where we are as men at least suffering from the most just like the deepest denial delusions of grandeur like we are different and every justification like that we can like just everything that can like some crazy shit like that the point that allowed me to understand and stop is somewhere in the psychotic break which i guess isn't something you want to hear but like somewhere in the psychotic break i realized i wasn't different i realized that I was the, the same as everyone. And that's it. Like, I, I literally, I just realized I was not different. I was not special. There wasn't this mystical force guarding me and watching over me that, you know, when I would survive a car crash and I said, someone's watching, there's a purpose, right? That was all bullshit, right? Like, I mean, knock on wood, you know, God forbid, maybe there was someone, but like, it, it doesn't tie into that, right? Like, or how I passed this exam, or how I did this, or how I guessed on this, and that got it right, right? I just realized I was the same as others. And when I realized that, I realized that this rationalization, or I guess you shouldn't even call it that, but this justification I was making, that this excuse I was giving myself that I can control this is wrong. Because this mm -hmm. can't be controlled. And then that's kind of what led me down that path. I think it was the discovery and understanding that I am not different, right? Like, you know, your parents are going to tell you that every day, like, and, and maybe in different, different fields you are, maybe, maybe in soccer, you're better than, you know, the 1%, right? And you're great, right? But I'm talking like, you know, foundationally as a human being, right? Like, I think the, the most common thing I've seen from my friends is I can read people. That's the most common like delusion and delusions of grandeur, like the denial I've seen from people who think they're different. I can read people. I know when you're lying, right? But if you actually look deeper into that, like the only reason you know someone's lying and you can read into them is because you've seen traits from either things that you've done, you know, uh, uh, personality traits you have and experiences you've lived through, uh, lived through, right? And from that, if you're smart enough, you'll realize, holy fuck, I, I'm not able to read him because I'm different. I'm able to read him because I am the same, right? And then from there, you kind of humble. You get humble and you realize you need to get your shit together. That's kind of what happened. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So good news is that I don't think you have to have a psychotic break to realize that. Although I'm not yes. surprised. That's there, why I don't want to bring that up. There, and I, there, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff here, Train. A lot that I think needs to be talked about. Can I kind of take the reins for a second? Take the reins. Or, or like, Can I grab minutes? a... Yeah, grab whatever. I'm going to take a piss. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of like feel free to jump in. I'm just going to sort of like think through this because I think, Train, you've said so much, man. First of all, thank you so much for sharing all this. I think, um, you know, I, I know a lot of it's pretty heavy stuff. I know a lot of it um, may seem embarrassing, but I, I, I think it's nah, not for me. I've been cool really enlightening. So the, first, the, the first thing to understand is that like, okay, so people are in denial, right? That's the biggest problem. It doesn't really matter if you're talking about addictions or other things. Um, yeah. But people are in denial. Like you said, we we start off by sort of telling ourselves it's okay for us. Like we're different. We can handle it. It's in balance. 
you know, and then what happens is your mind points to the things that are in balance. It's setting up kind of like this kind of fake news sort of like situation where you're going to point to your GPA and you're going to point to this, you're going to point to that, and your mind is going to tell you, see, because of these things, we're actually fine. You see, those guys have their shit together and they're using. It's going to selectively ignore on a Saturday you wake up bruised and battered because you got into a fight last night. It's going to gloss over that part. It's going to gloss over the parts where like, oh, my, my parents are like, you know, think I have a problem or these people. It's going to gloss over all kinds of stuff. And that's what really denial is. It's sort of like this very selective interpretation of your events. And then you kind of went on to sort of say like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. I, I, you use these terms like I realized, right? I woke up one day and it just dot, dot, dot. And this is what makes addictions really confusing is because when you ask people about their journey, what they tell you is like a change in their mind as opposed to actions. And as human beings, we know how to duplicate actions, but we don't know how to duplicate realizations. And and this is something that in Sanskrit we talk about a lot, which is that there are two words for knowledge. One is vidya, which is information and is transmissible. And the second is jnan, which is understanding and is subjective. So vidya is objective and jnan is subjective. And as a society, generally speaking, in Western society or just globally now, we value vidya over jnan. We say that unless you can explain it to me, unless you can prove it to me, unless it is objective, it does not have value. So our, our, our society has evolved to like appreciate science over opinion, right? Objectivity over subjectivity. And in doing that, we've lost the subjective. We've lost because what happened in you was not an objective change. It was a subjective change. It was in realizing, right? So realizing is not on a book. Information is on a book. And we value things like there was that guy on YouTube who was like, I read 300 books a day or whatever, right? He talked about like reading all these books and how like, because he's smart, because he reads a ton. But the question is, what do you understand? What do you absorb? How does change happen inside you? And this is what's really challenging about addictions. If you talk to people about their journey, what they say is, I woke up one day and it was just different. And then everyone who's struggling with the addiction is like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? How do I wake up one day and be different? And so this is where there are two important pieces, okay? The first is that I want you guys to understand that that subconscious change, even though it it reaches a tipping point, like for train at a particular point, that subconscious change is being built over time. So what we hear from train is that there's like this addictive force, which let's say like has a strength of 58. And then there's like the insightful, like loving train that's deep down within him. That's got a strength of like 10. And every time you have a bender, you wake up and then like that, that, that strength of 10 sort of like looks at your life and is like, what's going on here? And every moment you have that awareness, you level up to 12 and then you go on another bender. And then, like, because 58 is bigger than 12, right? And then, like, oh, you level up again. I have to re-clarify something. Yeah. Now I, under, now I understand why you gave me that example um, of you felt that. So what, what I was explaining to you of when I, like, black out for three months and I have different everything, that wasn't – I wasn't using drugs. That was me normal, sober, right? That was just my bipolar, right? Like, that's what that was, right? Okay, so four or five months, does that make sense? So I wasn't referring to my drug use. Like, this is uh, past the drug use. 
Yeah, this is so, what happens to this day. Like right now, sure, it happens. Sure, sure, sure. I, 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 I think I teased that apart that you still struggle yeah, yeah. with this because you mentioned your girlfriend has to deal with it and things like that. So I, I think I was yeah, aware yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I still think that this sort of as you go through the substance use, like you're going to have these moments where the sun shines through. And every time that happens, you level up. And eventually what happens is it, it one day you wake up and then like the true self is at like a 59 or 60. And that's when you start to win against the addiction. And what I see from people that I work with with addictions is they'll kind of say like, oh, I was sober for nine months and then I relapsed. And they're filled with shame and they're like, oh, I fucked it up. I threw it all away, right? Because we're a society that values quantifiable results. It's all about Tesla's stock price and, you know, where I am on the, on the ladder for a particular video game and how much money is in my bank account. It's all about numbers. Yeah. And we say, I threw away nine months of sobriety. But what I see with, with people that I work with is that, you know, you threw away nine months of sobriety, no big deal. You threw away nine months, you don't have to, you, you relapsed, fine. You relapsed for like a day. It doesn't have to be like a nine month bender, right? You can still change that. And over time, the duration of relapses and the frequency of relapses decreases as long as you keep on becoming more aware. Yes, yes. And this is the key thing, is that this is, this is an issue of nyan, not vidya. So you can't learn it from a book. And so what people need to understand yes. is that they can listen to a thousand conversations with Train, but Train's answer is never going to work for, for them because what they need to do is not learn, they need to realize and, and experience. Even it, 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 yeah, experience. But the other interesting thing about realization is that learning implies that knowledge is on the outside. Realize implies that knowledge is actually already within you. Right? So it's interesting when people use the word, I realize, that means you already knew on some level. You've always known on some level. So instead of looking yes. outside, people need to like look within, right? I know it sounds oh, kind of generic. Yes. No, that's, that's, that's it. That's and then it, it, if, if we listen to your psychotic break, so this is kind of interesting that there's a shared realm between psychosis, meditation, and hallucinogen use, which is the way that it affects this part of your brain called the default mode network. And the default mode network is the part of your brain that lets you look at you. So when we kind of say that like human beings are different from animals because we're self-aware, and there's a particular cognitive test you can do on some animals where they can like recognize themselves in a mirror. That implies that they have the capacity to be, how can I say this? They can look at themselves so they can be the object of your own observation. And the default mode network is the thing that allows you to look at yourself. Now, this is kind of interesting because in depression, the default mode network actually gets really, really overblown. And someone in depression is always thinking about themselves. They're thinking, oh, I'm a piece of shit. These people don't like me. They'd be better off without me, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, hold on, there's a lot of, what is going on? Sorry. I'm confused why there's a bunch of stuff being banned from chat. Well, I'm actually looking at uh, the usernames and your mods are doing a very good job because I recognize... That Assad Nine guy, he's you know he's a fan of mine. He's a good dude, but he's toxic. So that seems okay. like a good band. Anyway, good job, moderator. I'm gonna keep going. So um, yeah. what what I was kind of saying is that with the default mode network, it's like you get too, way too preoccupied with yourself, and in depression, it gets way worse. 
So people are always thinking about like, if you're having a bad day, my default mode network is hyperactive. So I think that you having a bad day is my fault if my default mode network is active. So I can't shake my own ego. And what I'm really hearing for you in that psychotic break is what you got past was your own ego, right? Like when you say I am different, that's your ego. And when you yes. shatter that ego and you begin to say, I am no longer different, I'm, I'm the same as everyone else. And so it seemed like for you that happened through psychosis, but this is where, you know, psychedelics can do it, meditation can do it, self-reflection can do it, journaling can do it, community service can do it. Developing humility and sort of performing an ego, egodectomy, the removal of your ego, is actually like the most important thing to gain insight. You need to stop doing that thing where your your mind, your ego goes to your intellect and bullies it and says, hey, I need to come up with a really, really selective way for me to feel good about me using the substance. And so you ignore a bunch of stuff. And when your ego gets removed from the equation, then you stop ignoring that stuff. You start to see yourself as you are with all of your flaws and all of your strengths. And that's how you gain security. That's how you get self-acceptance. That's how you gain self-love. Because we heard you kind of talk about those concepts, but I think these two things are, are really, really tied together. And the most bizarre thing, Train, I think is that like, when I listen to your story, I, I think about your karma and just what your addiction has done for you in terms of your personal journey and how you've grown so much through walking this journey, how you've come to learn so much about yourself, how you've come to learn and understand other people. You know, and like have a have like a back pocket full of wild ass awesome stories, which, you know, on the one hand, we kind of don't want to glorify because that doesn't you know, I'm not advocating that people do it. But like, let's at least acknowledge that that's a wild story to listen to. Right. I got some crazy shit for you, Dr. K. Believe me. Oh, man, dude. Like, I, I hope you so like this is kind of weird. It's It's a strange value judgment to place. But I really hope that you or someone in your family, like your immediate siblings have kids. And then they have kids because you would make one hell of a granddad. I'm an only child, unfortunately. But yeah, my cousins. I think like I, I can, kids. I can absolutely see you like 70 and like bent over and like telling stories to your grandkids. They're like, what? The oh, fuck? for sure. Like 16, and they're like telling stories about you know how grandpa used to do this, and <laughs> that'd be nuts. I think one to, to kind of touch upon what you're saying. I think I actually want to add something because. I, you know, I think it's one of the biggest, biggest issues with today's society and the way, you know, I'm not sure if this is the way the world is or just the way America is um, because, of, because of America's social structure and shit like that. But one of the biggest issues that I see is the lack of communication and honesty between people. Now, what I mean by that is everybody has their issues. Everybody has issues that if they communicated with others and if they were honest about, right? And I'm not talking about the people that aren't ready to express them. I'm talking about people who are uh, uh, um, intentionally hiding them in order to front that their life is better than the other, right? A good example of this is, let's say, um, back in school, there was always a group of kids that they were miserable. You knew that, like I knew at least, they were miserable studying for this exam. They hated it. But when the kid that had, you know, a harder time paying attention would go ask them for help or say, hey, is this really easy for you? They'd say, yeah, this is cake. I knew this shit like five years ago, right? 
But in reality, so now that person is going to think that they're dumb. That person's going to think that there's an issue. That person's going to think that issues within themselves, right? Everyone's fronting to each other. Everyone's making their life seem absolutely amazing. Like they're absolutely perfect. Like they absolutely understand everything. They have no stress. They have no sadness. They have no happiness. They have no this. They have no that. Just to look good for others. And what this does is sure, in the short term, you look good. You look like everything's great. But you're the most sad. And that sadness would be cured if you just communicate, hey, listen, right? Comfort in others is so powerful. If you can just be honest, be like, hey, yeah, fucking terrible. I had to study for eight hours. My parents made me. I'm gonna be honest, right? The dude will feel much better. Be like, oh, fuck, then I gotta go do the same, right? But like that ripple effect of that single lie just to look good, it causes so much shit. I'm telling you, like, and this applies to every field in every social situation for everything. So I don't know how the fuck we solve that, but... That's a big issue I've noticed throughout my life. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we have an interesting thing that we tell our coaches, which is kind of like, so we try not to be judgmental, right? Like as a society, we say that judgments are bad. Like you shouldn't judge me. Like, who are you to judge me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, so and like, if we think about it, lying and fronting is about, did I use that term right? Yeah. Fronting is about avoiding a particular judgment or creating a particular judgment, right? If I if I walk in before the test and I say, oh, yeah, I didn't really study for it, but I'm going to crush it. And secretly, I was like laboring away for 80 hours yes. over the last week. Yes. And I want to make it look yes. easy. And I want everyone yes. to know, you know, how smart I am. Oh, fucking yes. class. Y'all have to study for this shit. Yep. I do quantum mechanics on the toilet, you know, scrubs. And, and so, so we, we say something that's kind of interesting, which has been tricky for coaches to learn, is that I actually don't advocate for them to be non-judgmental. What I advocate for is for them to be authentic and compassionate. And if your client is doing something bad, you absolutely judge them for it, but you do it with compassion. You should be authentic. Like authentic and, and co authenticity and compassion I think are like our biggest antidotes to a world full of like lies and fronting. Right. We have to like, we have to hold people accountable for what they say and they do, but we should do it in a compassionate way. Because I think non-judgmentalness yes. well is kind said. of tricky yes. because like if someone fucks up what we're not going to judge them for it, like how does that help anyone? Any, you know, it's kind of weird, but I, I think it's part of the, you know, cancel culture and this kind of stuff is that like, on the one hand, we judge really, really harshly if it's sort of like righteous. And then on the other hand, it's like, you can't, you know, if I give a talk on the internet about the, you know, mortality risk of obesity with COVID-19, which there's an over overwhelming amount of data for, suddenly I'm fat shaming. And it's like, I'm not allowed to say that because someone's feelings are hurt and they feel judged. And that's sort of where like, you know, as a, as a psychiatrist, I realized a long time ago, you know, part of my job is to judge people, but to do so, like they deserve honesty from me. Like they deserve authenticity from me. You know, they deserve for me to not lie to them. And then you have to be careful because that's how you can turn into one of these blunt assholes where like, I'm, I'm a truth speaker. I'm going to go tell everyone how ugly they are because it is my ideal to be true. But then I you have to that. temper that with compassion. I hate that. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest problem I notice, right? That there is this 
there are these uh, differing definitions of, you know, real and fake, you know, authentic and, you know, uh, disingenuous, whatever the fuck, right? And one of them is very childish and immature. And that's the one that I see used the most, right? And it's if you're real, you, you know, you never, you never lie. You say how it is, right? But it's like when you grow older, you realize it's not black and white, right? It's very subjective. There's a lot of gray area, right? If, if I meet my girlfriend's parents and I hate them, right? I can't be like, hey, what's up, dickhead? I don't fucking like you, but I'm fucking your daughter, right? That's, that's not right. It's not right. It might be how I feel. Well, not actually. Please don't kill me. You know? But... Right. That's not right. That says more about me in a negative way than it does a positive in the sense of realness. Right. Like I, I like if, if anything, if I'm someone that is real, right. Or someone that was authentic, I would have the maturity. I'd have the respect to understand that it doesn't matter how I feel about this individual. Right. I'm dating his daughter. I need to have respect for him and I need to treat him kindly. Right. And it's, it's that simple. Right. So, like, so like, can These I tell are the problems in today's society. Yeah, go ahead. So, like, I see this a lot, trained with with um, with people that I work with that I would call pseudo spiritual. So, like, a lot of people that you know come across my world are like spiritual people who are like interested in spirituality. Sometimes it'll be like, you know, if we do consulting for like a company or something, like someone who's spiritual yep. will show up. It, like people in our community, you know, there's kind of the spiritual and s sometimes people are pseudo spiritual. And what I mean by that is they're like, they like, they have a big ego about being spiritual, but they're not actually like, they may work hard and they may like talk the talk, but they're not really walking the walk in the most important ways. And a good example of that is like, so, so like, you know, people who sort of say that, you know, I'm going to live in the present and, and I want to be present focused and I want to be like unattached you know, and like they say these kinds of like spiritual things. So what that means is that like, even though I have a girlfriend, if like in the, in the present moment, if I want to fuck someone else, I'm going to fuck them, you know, cause that's like me being like authentic to myself train. I want to be like my authentic self. I don't want to be like, you know, pinned down by like worldly conceptions. And I'm going to be like in the present moment and authentic to myself. And so this is like a classic example of like a pseudo spiritual person. And it's really interesting because if you look at, um, you know, the system of yoga and and like they're they kind of have this hierarchy. And what they say is that, you know, truthfulness is really important, but the most important thing is ahimsa or nonviolence. So truthfulness should always be subject to nonviolence. And so not hurting another human being trumps truthfulness and all truthfulness should only be shared if it is nonviolent truthfulness. And so there's kind of this hierarchy where like you're, you're, even if you're trying to be an authentic person, so we kind of say authenticity with compassion with our coaches. And I think that's a big part of like what they do. And like, I think that's a big part of what our community needs and craves is like, you know, this is something that I sort of dislike a little bit about therapy. I sometimes feel like therapy is way too nonjudgmental personally. So I tend to be like a judgmental therapist where, where people will, you know, I'll be like, what the fuck, man? You kind of fucked up there. <laughs> and, and so, you know, some of my colleagues will never say that to a client or therapist or patient. And they'll be like, how could you ever, you know? And it's like, I kind of feel like, you know, they know they're fucked up. I know they fucked up. We all know we fucked up. Let's call it yep. what it is so that we can do something about it. 
And especially in our community, people need to be called out for what they're doing. Yes, you have to do that. They're already getting the babying treatment from their parents and friends, right? Like they need something like what you're doing. I agree with that completely. At least for me. So I think it's important to be compassionate. Like it's not calling them out for the sake of like justice. It's calling them out because it's like, hey, man, if you made a mistake, like let's work on it so that you don't have to make that mistake anymore. Yes. But pretending it's okay is not how you fix a problem. You know? Agreed. Uh Um. So I'm with you. I, I know we're kind of off topic, but I, I, I think from a, you know, an addiction standpoint, uh, train, I thought it was like wonderful what you shared and, and kind of your journey and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm lucky that, that you did make it through, right? Because it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you were doing was really dangerous. I'm lucky. Yeah. No, and I cannot worry. emphasize this enough. Like that is not an RNG game that you guys want to be playing. It is not. It's not at all. It's terrible. It's absolutely disgusting. Terrible. 100 um and and it 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 it, it, well i want to say this one thing as well it it takes listen it takes a piece of you away right i'm not going to be as dramatic you know and 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 reference it to like one of those movie things where you know when you kill someone it takes a soul piece of your soul away but like it definitely takes a piece of something away from you when you touch these drugs i'd say any drugs realistically like i'd say any drugs i'd say even the softest of drugs you don't even classify as drugs like i'm telling you like if I could go back, there's one thing I'd change. It would be like, even though it taught me a lot, gave me a lot of experience, I still would try to stay sober. The sober me, it, it was different, right? Like, it, it, I'm telling you, it takes a piece. It takes a piece away that you never get back. So don't ever do it, ever. It's fucking trash. It's not worth. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say, yeah. Cool, man. Well, caffeine doesn't count. I'm do- caffeine happening no matter what. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> caffeine staying. No being being off caffeine just... is really nice. I yeah, mean... it is. Because the, then in two weeks when you drink it again, it fucking juices you. I like that. <laughs> yeah, man. So any, um, I, I'm kind of thinking like I, I may, like you want to talk about meditation for a minute or any like last thoughts, questions? What are you, how are you feeling? Um... Hmm. 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 I like you, Dr. K. I like you too, Trey. I like you, Doc. I like Doc. So there it is. It's fine. DK. Hey, DK. Dr. That's that's. I don't know. Is there anything okay. else? Is there anything else for you? Uh, I mean, I think so. A lot of people, I think, are going to be wondering, how do I get rid of my ego? So I, I thought I would just share some, like a different, a slightly different kind of meditative technique. Um, well, there's the also there, there's oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt. There's yeah. also a tra- so in between getting rid of ego, there's a trap door. Okay, it's the last hurrah for the ego, and that trap door. It is damn near same as losing your ego. You understand? It is gaining an ego through the loss of your ego. When you lose your ego, that's differentiating you from most people. Therefore, you find a new justification of why you're different without actually knowing you're different and thinking you've lost your ego. And that's the last trapdoor you need to fucking pass before you actually lose it. Does that make sense? Makes It's brilliant. So yeah. this is something that one of my teachers in India, a monk, told me like 17 years ago. And it's, yeah. it's awesome. It feels really full circle to hear it from you today. So you said there are two kinds of ego. 
There's the regular ego, and then there's the ego of having no ego. I've learned that one the hard way. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how egoless I am. What's up, bitches? <laughs> Get on my level. Yep. Get on my egoness level, you scrubs. Get wrecked, shitties. You all with your big egos? Not like me. That's right. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Um, and and so it's it's interesting because the process of sublimating your ego, it gets subtler and subtler and subtler. Um, but I'll just share with you guys just to like, uh, I mean, we can hop off the call if you want to, or you can stay on, but I was just going to share a quick technique about, um, ego dissolution. I can watch on stream just so you're more sure. comfortable. You can do your thing. I'll watch yeah. on stream so you can just kind of connect with everybody. Okay, cool. Let's Thanks connect again for part six. We'll think of something for part six. I want to keep <sighs> doing this. Part six has got to be something good. We can do story time. We can talk about some crazy shit. We'll talk about something. Okay. okay we got to do okay. part six soon. Okay. And also, uh, uh, also. I'm going to send you a code where you can get my merch for free. You, you, you got to get this. It would look great on you. I'm telling you. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, Trey. Yeah, I got you. No problem. Love you. Bye. Bye.